especially love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their own healing and punishment and consolation. The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit me unless I've given me some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even by first instruments, such as their food or love, do not give distinct merits, how will anyone know what is great? And if the bugle is an interesting sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if through your tongue you are a speech that is intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none does without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to speak in, and the speaker of a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of spirit, strive to excel in building the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise in my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks to the spirit, how can anyone in the future pronounce that say, Amen, to your thanksgiving? when he doesn't know what you are saying. Or you may be giving thanks to one else, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any man. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words in one way in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be fully in your thinking. Be invincible, but in your thinking be mature. In the Lord is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to his people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders of unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are under the minds? But if you're prophesying, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by Apple. He is called to account by Apple. The thief is not stopped by disgrace, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is indeed among you. This is not at all. Desire this morning, if that's the desire you have, as you come to church, 
that's a good desire. Uh, it really is, and if you're longing for deeper spirituality, uh, it really is a longing for heaven. Uh, that's because how God made us, and we long to be with God. And I think uh, non-Christian, non-Christian friends, uh, although unconsciously, even non-Christian friends express this in their times when they lament about the shallow superficiality of materialistic life. And longing for deep spirituality is something that ought not to be quenched, but to be encouraged. It's a longing to be with God in the heavens. However, our desire for spirituality must be paired with discernment, as the Bible teaches us, because the invisible spiritual realm consists of Satan, who seeks to lie and deceive and lead God's people away from the one true and living God. Now, if that is the case, uh, we've, got a, we've got an issue and problem to solve carefully and thoughtfully, don't we? How do we discern what is genuinely spiritual? What is truly spiritual? Well, the truth of spirituality is discerned by a person's attitude towards Jesus Christ. That was Paul's foundational argument for this whole section of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. That in chapter 12, verse 1, a spirituality 101, according to the apostle, how do you know your spirituality is from the true God? Not that you have spectacular experiences. Not that you witness miracles. Not that you have ecstatic feelings. You may. You may not. But essentially, how you discern your spirituality is that you confess Jesus as your Lord and live your life under His Lordship. You remember that? Now, that's really important to remember as we consider this whole subject. Now, if you have come to know Jesus as your Lord, as your Christ, then you will pursue life. That was Paul's argument back in chapter 13 last week, you remember. Now, what's the relationship between knowing Jesus as your Christ and pursuing life? Well, think about Jesus. I think about what he has done for you. Uh, according to Paul's words in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. That's a very succinct summary of the gospel, isn't it? If someone, someone asks you, what is the gospel? Now, one way Paul would summarize this, Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. If you have tasted the love of God, another way, a Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, but God shows his love towards us while we are still sinners, while we are still his enemies, Christ. Or, or Apostle John puts it in this way in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live for him. This is love. Not that we have loved God. But He loved me. He loved you. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for us. So, what Paul's saying is if you have known this God, the true God, through the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and if His Spirit lives in you, you will 
or the art of mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their outbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Uh, explanation seems straightforward until uh, we, we look at it carefully and it raises lots of questions. And in particular, you know, what is tongue speaking, what is prophecy, and so on. Uh, we don't know exactly what they were and what they looked like, especially how they manifested in practice. Uh, Paul knew it, the Corinthians knew it, so there was no need for further explanation. Uh, but we have a lack of information to be certain about how tongue speaking and prophecies manifested in practice back in the first century in this church at Corinth. Uh, people speculate about it a lot. Uh, many things have been written by looking at the usage of the word tongue speaking and prophecies. Uh, go through all the first century Greek documents and then and come up with a, a theory of what this may have been. Uh, the Pentecostal movement uh, has become quite confident that they know what tongue speaking in particular is and give the whole denomination and theology around it. Uh, but uh, I myself am uncertain about what they exactly were. Uh, I know what they are, but what they look like in practice in the first century. Uh, I suppose an analogous example may be helpful to understand what I mean. Uh, the New Testament also speaks about the activity of public teaching of God's Word. Uh, that's clear, right? And, and it would be analogous to something like what I'm doing now. But I'm not quite sure exactly what they looked like back in first century as a manifestation. In other words, uh, was it a monologue? No. Uh, was it for 20 minutes? Some of you would like that to be the case, but or was it for two hours? Um, in the Apostle Paul, when he preached, preached back in first century, have notes like what I, what I have now. He didn't enough prepared and notes and, and came up and then gave a monologue for 20 minutes or two hours. Did uh, Paul um, give lots of jokes you know, and share lots of personal stories? That, that's how preaching seems to be understood in certain modern uh, contexts. Uh, we don't have answers to these questions. And that is the same for tongue speaking and prophecy. So instead of focusing on the phenomenon, uh, we're going to draw some essential characteristics that we can learn about prophecy uh, with the sufficient knowledge the Bible gives us, and then we can come back and draw some corporate application for our own context. That's my approach. Okay? So uh, I'm going to go through these things fairly quickly. So if you want to think about it further or ask any further questions and discuss it later, uh, you might want to write them down. Now, first, what can we learn about prophecies from this chapter? One Corinthians 14, at least six things. First, it's an intelligible speech, verses 2 to 3. Uh, second, it edifies the church, verses 3 to 4. Third, uh, it can convict and hold into account the outsider, verse 24 25. Fourth, it can be weighed, in other words, it can be examined and falsified in verse 29. Uh, it can arise from a revelation, verse 30. And sixth, it is controllable by the prophet. It's not as though if it comes up on you, it takes over. It can be controlled. Now, furthermore, looking at the surrounding context, now, now we gaze a little bit outside of 1 Corinthians to the surrounding chapters of 1 Corinthians 14. The activity of prophecy, if you remember, is linked with the activity of prayer back in 1 Corinthians 
the high, calling for it is every man to prophesy, just as every Christian prays. And also, he encourages both men and women to exercise prophecy online, public teaching of God's word, where it is reserved for a few selected men to exercise in the corporate gathering. So, another thing we can say about prophecy is that it's more like the responsive activity of a prayer and less like the authoritative activity of teaching and preaching, although there may be some overlap. Now, this time, spreading out there is a little bit even further uh, beyond the Corinthians. Uh, prophecy is a broad phenomenon both in the Old and the New Testament, and not all prophecies were true and accepted. The manner seems to have been the same in the case of true prophecy as well as false prophecy. But the determiner of what was truly spiritual prophecy from living God uh, was the content. And in this regard, the most significant New Testament text comes from Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, which says, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, what determines the truth of prophecy is whether it pays to response, whether it accords with the truth of the gospel. And when you hear that, that is very similar to how Paul began the argument back in chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you will confess his lordship. So putting them together, my attempt to Defining prophecy at the basic level is prophecy is a manner of responsive speaking in which the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is intelligibly uttered. The prophecy is a manner of responsive speaking in which the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is intelligibly uttered. Now, one further element of prophecy we must note is that in the New Testament, the ministry of prophecy is given to all Christians. Uh, if you remember back to the Old Testament, only some people are anointed by God's Spirit in a special manner, prophesied, and the activity of a prophesying meant that they became the prophet or prophetess. But in the New Testament, that is not the case. Just because you prophesy doesn't mean that you are a prophet. Uh, and also, the ability to prophesy is given to all Christians. As the Spirit is given to all men through the work of Jesus Christ, we see that uh, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, in fulfillment of Joel 2, and also Moses' desire that everyone prophesy. So, with that in mind, if that is what prophecy is, uh, then we can make sense of also what tongue speaking is in comparison to prophecy in this passage, because that's what Paul does, and also uh, the overall meaning of the passage today. Paul says, seek to prophesy, uh, to speak in response to the good things God has revealed among us. Why? Because such responsive speaking and prayer heals one another, encourages one another, comforts one another. And he continues in verse 4 the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now, some people take this verse to mean that, uh, therefore, tongue speaking is good for private edification. Uh, it's for uh, your personal QT to, to use the Chinese language. Uh, however, that may be that may be that may be true. I don't know, but that is not the point of Paul's argument here, is it? 
he's not writing one Corinthians chapter 14 to give you advice on your personal private edification. It's not about your personal two time. Rather, Paul is sharply and subtly rebuking the Corinthians here. If you have been following his argument, to think about how I can build myself up, that is not the spiritual way. That is not the spirit of Christ. No. The one who prophesies builds up the church. In other words, the one who prophesies loves the church. The one who prophesies loves Jesus Christ, knows Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even not prophesy. Uh, the, phrase, uh, the phrasing of verse 5 is very similar to chapter 7, uh, verse 7, where he talked about, if you remember, I want all of you to be single. I want all of you to be celibate. But, you are not the They are all different. God has called us into different life circumstances and situations. Corinthians also seems to have thought celibacy was a higher form of spirituality. And Paul kind of goes along with that. I'm willing for all of you to be celibate if you can. But, the point is, you can serve God wherever God takes you. It's about being faithful to God. That was the point. And he's making a similar sort of argument here. I'm willing for you to speak in tongues. If you speak in tongues, that's all right. However, that may be. But the point is, I want you to prophesy. Now, why? He explains again the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. Now, why is it greater? Uh, not because it's more impressive, not because it's more miraculous or spectacular. No, because prophecy is more loving. Love is the most excellent way to remember. Now, on the other hand, no one understands tongues or language unless there is interpretation. Now, we thought. We didn't know what true speaking is in the 21st century, but apparently, even back in the 1st century, no one knew what true speaking was, even the person who prayed in tongues, unless uh, they had the difficult interpretation also. No one knows what true speaking is and its meaning, except God. That tongue literally means language, so a minimum working definition of true speaking from this passage is Speaking in unlearned language without strength, whether that language be uh, uh, human dialect. Uh, I'm told that there are thousands of different dialects in India, for example, uh, or whether that be heavenly uh, language, uh, angelic language, whatever it may be, there are languages that can be there. It seems to be an ability to suddenly be able to speak in unlearned language without strength. It's a good word, minimum working definition. Now, compared to the unknown characteristics of tongue speaking, prophecy is intelligible and as such, one who prophesies builds the church. And if you're a Bible reader, and I say, prophesy builds the church, that brings in the brings back familiar phrases, doesn't it? Remember Jesus Christ again, what did he promise? And what is his plan and purpose for us today? And for the world today? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If Jesus' grand purpose for 
Jesus is building his church through your prophesying, however feeble and weak your lips may be. Now, for those who are yet to be convinced, Paul extends his argument uh, with illustration in verse 6 to 12. Look at verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, and remember, we only have one side of the conversation between Paul and Corinthians. But I wonder in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6, we can read into that text a little bit where Paul says, If I come to you speaking in tongues, he's saying this because I think there were some people in Corinth whispering and complaining about Paul. Remember when Paul came? He wasn't very impressive, was he? You know, when Paul came, why didn't he speak in tongues? Maybe he's never reached that high of spirituality like some of the other people of So the Paul is kind of connecting with that sort of uh, Corinthian whispering and complaining and saying, you know, if I came to you, when I came to you, if I come to speaking in tongues, well, how will I benefit And again, Paul is still using the language of chapter 14, that word benefit is the same word as if I don't have love, I don't gain anyone in chapter 13, verse 40. If I come to you, when I come to you, if I come to you speaking in tongues, I'm not going to gain anyone. It's not love. Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or things. And what they all have in common there is it's intelligible speech, isn't it? And Paul says, think of musical instruments. He says, a flute or a harp is useless if they're not capable of making sense of distant notes. And imagine if I said, I'll play this guitar here uh, without tuning the guitar, uh, or Shane plays a piano, disregarding the chords uh, and the tune and rhythm. It's not serving anyone. It's a noise. It's not music. It's a bit like that. And, and in case some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I'm tone deaf, it's all noise to me, anyways, I don't care about music. Uh, or says, I will pray for your healing. But Paul says, I'll give you another example. At least you are speaking language. So he goes, in verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. None is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Now, if I start speaking unknown languages, it says no one, right? It's unintelligible. To be honest, I have no idea what I just said. It's unintelligible to me, and that makes God reverse to me. But unintelligible languages, and also equals unintelligible spirituality, which seems very popular in our New Age days. Brings no benefit to us. Why? Because the true God has revealed Himself in an intelligible way for us. Because gospel is an objective content. Gospel bears 
to a person whose name is Jesus Christ, the Word of God. You see, I, I don't think it's an accident or digression. Some people think it's a digression, or never think about the connection between 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 15. But I don't think it's a digression that 1 Corinthians 15 follows uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Sorry, to state the obvious. But with these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. That is the content of prophecy. That is what determines true spirituality from false spirituality. That is what it means to That is the gospel experience the truth. So, Paul continues, verse 12, with yourselves, since you are eager for the spirit. Again, the word manifestation isn't there. It simply means since you, you eager to be spiritual people. Since you are eager for the spirit of Christ, strive to excel in building up the church. One who speaks in a tongue and prayer that you can be So our longing to be spiritual, our longing to be closer to God, our longing to live a life that is pleasing in God's sight, our longing to become more like Christ, should be turned into our desire to build one The spirit of Christ, you will desire to be this church because you will understand clearly how much Christ loves you and gave himself up for you. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning is that your desire, is that your mission, is that your vision of spiritual Verses 14 to 19, Paul explains further why you shouldn't speak in tongues without interpretation in corporate gatherings. So verse 14, uh, if I pray in a tongue, my prayer, spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Again, I think Paul is quite sharp in his rebuke. Uh, he doesn't say my mind doesn't understand. He goes a little bit a step further, doesn't he? Because my mind is unfruitful. In other words, it does no good to my or we should be bearing fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit? Like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, these fruit are born when we encourage, comfort, invite each other with the gospel of Jesus Christ in an intelligible way to serve one not when they speak in unintelligible language and parade it as a greater spiritual experience. Now, at this point, Paul anticipates some objections in the Corinthian church. Uh, maybe the objection goes something like this. What does the preacher know about tongue speaking? You know, he's, he's being negative about tongue speaking because he doesn't know. He's never experienced it. Maybe the case, in my case, but for Paul, apparently, that's not the case. 
So Paul says in verse 18, if you, if you think I'm saying this because I have no idea what I'm speaking is, let me tell you, I think God that I'm speaking of more than all of them. Now, I haven't spoken in this way because uh, I'm jealous of your tongue speaking ability and I have no idea what I'm talking about. No. That argument's not going to work in Paul. He speaks in languages more than all of them. Nevertheless, there's my main church. I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a time. Paul makes final argument for prophecy in verses 20 to 25. And prophecy testifies the gospel to unbelievers, thereby is the church. So Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 28 in verse 21. In the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to these people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. In the context of Isaiah, the original context, because Israel is continuing to reject God. It's just not listening to God. God will judge them by sending foreigners in. They will be oppressed and ruled over first by the Assyrians and Babylonians and finally by the Greeks and the Romans. And that experience of being spoken and ruled by in languages that they can understand will be a sign of God's judgment, will be a sign that they are far away from God. When, when, when Israel was deported to exile from the promised land, they went to Babylon and told the languages mocking voices in a language they cannot understand. It emphasized all the more that they were far from God, they were under God's judgment, that God wasn't happy with them. But prophecy assures them of God's love towards them and commitment to them. That's what this is. And now, this is through Isaiah's prophecy in the original context. We continue to read Isaiah. Isaiah will be my comfort, comfort my people. The Lord will come, the servant of God will come. And he will redeem new Israel through the new Exodus to new Zion. Speaking to people in unintelligible language is a sign of judgment. But you Corinthians think it's a sign of a super spirituality. Grow up. Stop being like child. Again, chapter 13. Remind Now, what will cause an outsider to understanding and enlightenment? And by the way, the word outsider in Greek literally means idiot. It says, when I was learning Greek in North College, it was one word that I understood so easily. It, it's got that memory hook, and you never forget it once you learn it. Um, but I also think there is a little bit of connection, a theological connection, if you think about it. The Bible says, only the soul says in his heart, And we've all been there. We've all been a fool. We've all been idiots. And idiots cannot bring themselves out of their idiocy. They needed help, don't they? We needed help. We needed God's revelation and understanding. How can an idiot come to enlightenment? How can an outsider standing under the wrath of God come to be drawn into God's presence and receive God's love? Well, it's by us speaking the love of Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ in it. It's by us letting the word of Christ dwell richly among us as we 
increase of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we receive, in which we stand, and by which we are blessed. Father, may our knowledge and understanding of Christ's love towards us so create us a deep love to have this word, when which we are to be understood both by believers and outsiders, that this church may be built. May our will and 